0: you're listening to errol parker and clancy overall editors of the batuta advocate on desert rock fm
1: hello and good afternoon if you're listening from inside the channel country and a very good afternoon good evening good morning slum puggy slum out mullum whatever whatever if you're listening around the world on the podcast yes hello listeners i'm clancy overall i'm sitting here in koala mattress
0: studios as always with errol parker We've got an iconic guest in the studio with us
1: today for our show, and we're going to get straight into it. Yes, he's one of the voices, if not the voice of cricket in this country, and I'm sure the vast majority of you listening to us right now have heard one of his famous impressions. We're, of course, talking about the 12th man, comedian, journalist, and of course, impressionist Billy Birmingham. Yes, he's been a staple in Dad's Christmas stocking for nearly three decades, a true audio artist, and he's willing to give us a little taste of those voices that he made so famous over the years. Yeah, we're going to skip most of the local news this morning and jump right into Billy's interview just because we went a little bit over time and it's one that we didn't really want to cut down because there is a lot of gold in there.
0: Sitting here in uh, the recording studio Desert Rock FM with uh, a very influential guest to a lot of Australians. He's uh, influential to our newspaper, influential to many, many people who, who enjoy summer and enjoy the, the sound of summer. Uh, yourself, Billy Birmingham, thanks for
2: joining us. Uh, thanks very much, boys. Nice to be in this uh, part of Australia. I haven't yeah, been good, here for a uh, long time.
1: It's it's good that you've made it all the way out here to the edge of the Simpson Desert. Yeah,
2: well, it's not a place that a lot of people get to often. No, And it's, uh... uh chance to come out here and have a chat with you guys is uh, something I've been looking forward to, and now I've finally made it. Um, I'm here, and I'm thirsty.
0: Beautiful. <laughs> Well, we've got plenty of batuta to bitter
2: for you. There you go. Now, in mate. We, to we have, we'll have a sip of some now. <laughs> you can get it riding. You can get it rooting a cow. <laughs> Matter of fact, I'm rooting one now. <laughs> Whoa, Nelly. Now, um, we want to talk
1: to you about the career you've had, obviously.
2: L'homme deuxième. That's de yeah, de French about for the talk. Uh, l'homme de diem.
1: And how much uh, the status quo has changed from what it used to be in the 70s to. Yeah. To the bastardisation of what it's become
2: now, yeah. Uh, what cricket do you mean? The bastardisation, the commentary, yeah, too, of, yes. or commentary, or look, uh, we're we're here in Batuta, yep. um, basically when you know the news is still fresh out of the oven. Mm. That Channel Nine have lost the cricket, and mm-hmm. to a lot of people, not even just young people, but uh, you know, people my age. I'm sixty five next month. Fuck, that sounds old, doesn't it? But anyway, a lot of people like me had lost fucking interest in cricket until Kerry Packer got hold of it in, you know, 78 or whatever. And yeah. It, with Richie Beno, Tony Gregg, John Cornell's strop, a lot of people know him as, and Hoag's, and a lot of people revolutionised the game. And I don't think I can blow enough smoke up Kerry Packer's ass. Anyone who makes a dollar out of cricket in 2018 owes a shitload of gratitude to Kerry Packer and those aforementioned people. But you know that was kind of a, a revolution of the game of cricket. You know the the, the way the game was presented. You know with the coloured uniforms and the cameras everywhere. And I always imagined KP saying, "Oh, this is a fucking gladiatorial fucking sport. You got a <laughs> bloke hurling a fucking rock down at someone at hundred miles an hour. As it goes it has got fucking steeped in history. Why isn't anyone fucking watching?" and um you know so they've come up with this idea of how they cover the game late night the late night colored uniforms lights Mm -hmm. you know and and cameras everywhere and uh all the naysayers who were freaking out about the five day game gonna suffer as a result of this 50 over game that you know kerry focused on Mm they would played one day games but they hadn't focused on it whereas packer decided to give sort of equal weight to these one day games where people come along Spend the day or the night or, or you know, the whole series, the whole session rather, and go home with the result. Mm-hmm. Cricket in all of its forms has flourished ever
0: since. Do you reckon do you reckon that had a, uh, a ripple effect around the world as well? Oh, absolutely. So yeah. the
2: Poms especially were yeah. horrified yeah. that these huh. fucking Antipodean wankers had colonial back, them, back. Got water. hold of there. <laughs> g- what, the, what the fuck are they doing in our game? You know, I remember <laughs> Sir Anthony Hardboiled Egg, I think was his yeah. name, the chairman of the like, MCC. Like, what the fuck's going on here? Um and you know they were really, you know, coloured uniforms. What yeah. the fuck's going on? Yeah. The creams. And, um, they're wearing their pyjamas down there. They're wearing pyjamas and, and under lights. No, 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 no. But every form of the game flourished. And as I said, it, uh, it's continued to do so over the last, well, when it was 78, what are we doing, at 40-something years. And anyone who makes a quid out of the game um, in 2018 owes a lot to Kerry Packer and those other trailblazers mm. who grabbed the game by the uh, fruff of the scrote or the scruff of the throat, depending on what school you went to, <laughs> and gave it the re-presentation, the, uh, the re-energising that, that it needed. So it um, had a similar
0: effect as, say, uh, State of Origin Football did on Rugby League, where they kind of just
2: amped it up to, yeah. That, yeah. to that kind of explosive world wrestling level. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. State against state, mate against mate and all that <laughs> sort of thing. And probably Daryl Eastlake was one of my you know favourite voices to do. And he died recently. They're all fucking carking it. I'm, do, do I'm getting I'm getting phone calls from people saying, "Can you fucking re-edit your record and take me off it?" Because everyone who <laughs> you've taken the piss out of is dying. <laughs> Tony <laughs> Gregg, fucking Max Walker, <laughs> Richie Banner, Darrell Eastlake, Mike Gibson. They're all gone. Oh, no, <laughs> no, Oh, Fuck, get me off those fucking records. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Horry's particularly worried. <laughs> fuck yeah. me. Do you uh, do you stop doing them once they die? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I kind of. I kind of have to. I mean I did a yeah. I did a posthumous. I mean Richie Beno I did a, I did a greatest hits, you yeah. know, like the best of Richie.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh I did a greatest hits general record which was called Willy Nilly, and then when Richie carked it a few years later I decided I mean the guy's been the backbone of, of you know, every record I've done. He's been yeah. there. Even when I did a Wide World of Sports record I managed to shoehorn Richie in there, yeah. you know. Typical stinking fucking hot day here in Bombay, you know, and all that. <laughs> I always had a cross to him somewhere in the world. And he beca- he was the mainstay, uh, the backbone. He was where I started. It was his voice that got me into the whole 12th man thing back in the uh, early 80s. I think I had him calling down from heaven for some radio sketch yeah. that I did, yeah, to, yeah. you know, put the... Oh, you know the yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the <laughs> choral orchestra yeah. in, the, in the background going, you know, and you know, with some sort of with some sort of harp trill. Yeah. Oh. check one two, and a bit of echo on his voice. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Kerry, I'll be there in a sec. You know, whatever the fuck, we're having a po- game of poker here, then Where are you? Uh, it won't be a sec. Just on the phone uh, to Australia. Um, and so I think I've done him from heaven. You know, yeah. a lot of people have been. All the Facebook people have I been mean, saying to me, Billy, now they're all dead, you know, maybe it's time to have a game in heaven, you yeah, know, yeah. where you get Max Walker and, and Tony Gregg and Richie commentating. But Hansi Cronje. Hansi Cronje, that's right, yes. I left 50 on the Nose of Australia. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hansi, he denied yeah. that that plane was fixed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, oh, <what>? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, watch out for that mountain, boy. It's, we're yeah. going in for a What's closer that? look now. <laughs> oh fuck, um, Hansi Gronje, yeah. Um, uh-huh. But but you know I've had such a good run with the whole twelfth man thing. Yeah, you know it's a pity it has to come to an end. But it's it's like you know all good things it has come to an end. If I was to do another one now, I don't really feel the passion to do another one. Yeah. Uh, Could you do a warning? Is there a warning no, no? There's no, no. That's one. If you yeah. wanted to look at the current crop of commentators on Channel Nine uh, since Richie passed away, so the last three years, you know, yeah. slats and. Heels and Brett Lee and and Mark and and which Mark have you got with the Mark Nicholas? Oh, Mark Nicholas, yes. Yeah. Well, you done Mark with the South African voice. That's yes. why well, you threw me out of gear there. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to work out who he's doing there. Um, mark Nicholas. Um, there's none of those guys yeah. who've got any voices that are easy for, to take the piss out of. I mean, it was a godsend for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, back in '78 when they first came on air, um, because. You know, I just sat around my lounge room doing, I said, Jiminy, do you guys know Richie sounded like this? You know, because we all knew Richie Benner. Yeah. Um, you know, blokes my age knew Richie Benner was the sort of, you know, former Australian skipper and a bit of a legend. Smooth X. We remember him for his Smooth X ads. Smooth X. Um, but anyway, none of us had this idea, any idea that he spoke with this yeah, it's just a weird voice, you know? Fuck. Did anyone know that Richie sounded like this? And so we're all sitting around the lounge room, enjoying cricket again uh, with the new repackaging. In um, where were you living at this time of your life? I was living. Where were we? No, so it was the late 70s. I was the uh, the northern beaches,
0: uh, I mean Sydney, Sydney, yeah,
2: northern beaches in Sydney, Australia, um, and then I ended up around the leafy North Shore. Of Sydney, so Abbott, the, Abbott Country. Uh Yes, is it Tony Abbott up around that way in County Abbott? Yeah, I think Tony Abbott a, is on the cusp. I think you'll find between the leafy North Shore and the Northern Beaches. I suppose it'd be uh, smoke and Joe country then down there. In, uh, <laughs> smoke and Joe, but it was any around Linfield. If anyone oh, knows, right. if anyone knows the leafy North Shore, I was in Linfield when Dick I Smith was. Country. Yes, when <laughs> yeah. I started uh, loving the, the game of cricket again, yeah, yeah. and. Uh, you know, like a lot of people, we were all sitting around because yeah, it was on once. You know, Channel Nine's presentation of the packer version of cricket started. Yeah, we're talking November, December, January, February, four months. Yeah, and large chunks of TV time were spent with Richie and Bill and Tony and Max and all these guys presenting cricket to us. So you know. We were loving the new presentation of the game and having a few beers, and then, you know, if you have a uh, penchant or a penchant, as Ray Warren would say, a penchant, (laughs) for uh, taking the piss out of voices like I did, you you would just, fuck, listen to Richie, he had a marvellous effort. That You know, marvellous was the adjective du jour. It was his favourite and uh, super stuff, and then the fucking bottom lip, but a mind of its own, you know, and the chew, the way he said chew for 22, and you had to get your lips into the shape of a cat's Do you <laughs> say it properly, two for 22, and then, oh, Bill Worry, hey, go I got him, yeah, oh, Bill, and then, all the guy did was just, you know, fucking block the ball back yeah, down yeah. the pitch. <laughs> oh, super shot. And it wasn't a super shot, he just fucking blocked it back down the pitch. <laughs> and Tony with the hard and fast and whatever, and they were just made, you know. Yeah. It makes you look over that big old bragging nose, and he had a big smile at his mouth. So someone has... <laughs> so, <laughs> 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 the, the yeah, they are. Oh, makes a fan. <laughs> um, but it, it was just for someone who had a uh, a penchant for taking the piss out of voices. It was manna from heaven. You're working in radio? Did you just jump straight yeah, into look, I'd done the two businesses that I had dabbled in from 1970 when I left school to 19 sort of 80 was uh, was av- advertising in the music business. I used to work for EMI Music, and I'd. Uh, spent a bit of time in uh, a couple of advertising agencies. So um, that was my background and I was thrown together with Ostentatious and I wrote Australiana for him and that was because just a couple of people that I was social – friends of mine, he said that he wanted to write some comedy or do some comedy and I think they threw him my way because I was quote funny at parties, unquote. <laughs> so that's when Austin that's starts, Austin and right? I got together and, yeah. I and that
0: up. can you give us some numbers on how that did? Because from memory that was, that was yeah number it, one for
1: Yeah, yeah. Well it was a it was a It, it was a live album. Well it's Yeah, we did a live, live recording yeah, of it. Yeah.
2: We did a I I wrote a Certainly Anna was just I used, to, instead of saying, there's a bear a clacking Catholic and there's a Pope shit in the woods and all those sort of, you know, I used to say, how much can a koala bear and just, you know, there's yeah. a wombat yeah. and uh, it was just stupid fucking one liners. Mm-hmm. And Sandy, uh, who's Austin's real name, I, I gave him the name Ostentatious from Austin, Texas. I don't know why. <laughs> anyway, he used to throw those lines out on stage whenever he was. Whenever something didn't work, yep, he'd say, oh, fuck, you know, how much can a koala bear, And for some reason, he'd get the audience back again with a bit of a chuckle. So I ended up writing, you know, the whole thing. I wrote down all of the ones that I had, and then I just wrote down all of the others that I could think of, you know. Do you want a game of eucalyptus? Mm. Veggie might come too, Nullar bores me shitless.
0: Mm. Um,
2: hey, that 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 gag that whole thing has aged pretty well too. You, um, you could have had some yeah. hot, yeah. hot mid eighties well, kinda Yeah, yeah, well like it was it was it went to number one and then we were taken to court. Brashes um, Brash's was the name of a record outlet in, in Victoria and the Victorian Vice Squad raided Brash's store. Uh, and charged them with two offences. One was selling an obscene item, which was all to do with the B side of Australiana. It wasn't Australiana itself. Uh, They took them to court for selling an obscene item and keeping on their premises for the purpose of sale an obscene item. So Austin and I obviously thought this is a fucking golden opportunity for a bit of publicity, so we turned up to the court in Melbourne um, and listened to this cop playing the B-side of Australiana on a ghetto blaster and the magistrate was fucking half asleep and he obviously just couldn't give a fuck it was just like what am, I, what am I wasting my time with this for and the cop's trying to prove that this B-side, I can't even remember what the fucking sketch was or what the offensive yeah. line was but anyway um, and it was the day because I remember getting dressed up for court you know um, in a hotel in Melbourne, and it was the day uh, anyone who sacks anyone uh, for not turning up to work today is a bum. Yeah, right. Yeah. So right. it was a you know it was a momentous day that we won the America's Cup. Bob's there in the fucking stripy jump jacket, telling he's, everyone he's back on the piss. Back on the piss, <laughs> yeah. and we won the America's Cup. Bob's telling any boss who sacks anyone's a bum. And then after that momentous event, um, we jumped a cab down to the magistrate's court, and listened to this cop playing Australiana. So. This was a number one record, and it went from number one in every state uh, and number one nationally to absolutely nowhere because the record company decided that not one more copy would leave the warehouse as a result of the charges levelled against yep. Brashers. So, you know, softcock stuff, you know, it was ridiculous. So, yep. you know, one of it's the only record to go number one twice because as yep. soon as it was, as soon as the magistrate whose whose final final words were, like, I've heard everything here today. I don't know why we're here, actually, but uh, I've heard everything today. I don't find any of these charges proven. I don't think it's an obscene item, and I'm going to lunch and slams down the gavel. I'm going to lunch, as if we all needed to fucking know that. Um, So, anyway, it went out again, and it went to number one. So I think it has... Yep. The uh it got released twice. Yeah, it got released yeah. twice Wolf. basically, yeah. And and therefore is you know one of the uh, few records, but at, at the time it became the biggest selling Australian single of all time, knocking Wolf. off my old mate Slim Dusty who would have been very big around these parts in yeah, yeah. Uh and I got to work with Slim a lot when my job at uh, EMI, I used to take Slim around to do his interviews and got uh pretty close to uh, him and Joy, his wife, he's a lovely guy. Can you do a Slim? Uh no, Slim was just, a, you know, just an Aussie voice, that's all you. Yeah. Uh, you know, another, another one of those ones where it just sounds like everyone sounds like the bike up the road, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, Slim's pub with no beer yeah. had been the highest-selling Australian single of all time, yep. and we knocked him off with Australiana. Right. For which I had to apologise profusely to Slim.
0: He's, so there's a guy that made a lot of cash on pub with no beer. The guy that had done the B side. I don't think it was Stan Costa It was some other bloke. Yeah, well,
2: Stan wrote a lot of Slim <laughs> yeah, stuff, yeah. Uh, and Shorty Ranger. Yeah, Shorty Ranger wrote, wrote a lot of Slim stuff. I remember I had to take Slim out to uh, This Is Your Life, out at. Uh, Channel 9, this was pre-Matt uh, Munro days. <laughs> it was It Mike Woolisey, I think. Yeah, Mike right. Woolisey might have been the host. Of course, it's had more re- incarnations, as sure. you know, uh, This Is Your Life. In fact, it's probably time to bring it back. You know how a program, <laughs> yeah. they sort of run out of old enough people? When they start doing Leighton Hewitt, This Is Your Life, you know, you're fucking, <laughs> you know, <laughs> seriously. And you're getting married next yeah, week. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And the guy's fucking 28 and they're doing This Is Your Life, so they've obviously run out of people. Yeah. Um, so I think what happens is yeah. they, they let... A few, old, few people catch up. Yeah. Uh, and then they'll bring it back and again. Mike Munro, yeah. who I had Bill Lorry calling Matt Munro <laughs> constantly through the Bill Lorry This Is Your Life record, <laughs> um, back in 97 or whenever it was. But they'll bring that one back soon. And um, why am I talking about that? Oh, yeah, because I had to take Slim out to yeah. Channel 9 for the uh, – and Shorty Ranger was there and Stan Costa and all right, the people all just mentioned. And um, Batuta would have been uh, one of – you know,
0: I'm sure it would have been one of Slim's stop offs. Well, he, sing, he sings about the um, the Diamond Tina a lot.
1: Yeah. That's right. Mm. Yes. Well, if you had to appear on on a show like that,
2: um, who who do you, who do you, who do you think would walk you out? Walk me out? I don't know about. They never on- walked people out. They they the guy would do the big announcement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you know what? That's right. They would. Just remind me here, boys. No, they catch up with you at something, and yeah. Mike Munro or Mike Wallace yeah, yeah, springing is out. Yeah. No, <laughs> spring out from behind yeah. a, a curtain. So I'd be here, right, talking to you guys in yeah. Batuta or wherever, yeah. back in Sydney or fucking Brisbane. And the door would open, and there'd be a camera crew, and a man, and and, oh, the, and he'd be he'd be carrying the big book, uh, and I'd be going, oh, oh, what the fuck, and and he'd be going, Bill, Bill, Billy Birmingham, this is your life. Oh, oh my god, fuck. Um, and look, I'm sure most. I'm sure most of the people, they might have been the odd person who knew that it was going to happen. I remember John Farnham said to him, if, anyone fucking, if I ever see Mike Munro with that fucking red book, I'm going to punch his lights out. And Farnham had no interest whatsoever and, and he knew that he was a – Top contender. Yeah, he know, once, he, target, yeah. once he got into his fifties, you know, he was yeah. like fucking. You know, I, I could easily be a target here. And, you get, and he said to Wheatley, as many "Do you tell those fucking people? Come like, anywhere fucking near me, they're going to get some footage for the ages." Yeah. <laughs> Mike Munro.
0: No, um, one thing. Uh, it's 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 funny with with your um, with your career, as you said, when when they repackaged, repackaged, repackaged cricket. Channel Nine and and Packer himself were looked at people living off the back of cricket, living off the back of the great game, the gentleman's game, and then furthermore, there's this other bloke living off the back of yeah. Channel Nine who yeah. are living off cricket. So, did you have any kind of interaction with Channel Nine at all, or you made no, have-
2: no, no, Channel Nine <laughs> have Channel Nine have shown? I would have to call because I've worked in the music business. Because I have taken, you know, I was I worked at EMI in '75, so I had to PR and promote a lot of artists, you know, whether it was McCartney when he was touring in Australia, or any yeah. artists coming. Could have been the Hollies, could have been fucking Susie Quattro, could have been, you know, anyone who's coming out to Australia, and you've got to squire them around and mm-hmm. take them to interviews. And then similarly with our local artists, you know, there was the day I joined was when Little River Band launched their first album. So I, you know, had to take those guys around. ACDC I had to take down to radio studios to do interviews and stuff. And I was, I saw how the music business and the record business worked and I saw how much promotion and publicity artists were given. Um, you know, if having, especially if they're having a level of success, it was a bit hard when you were trying to flog someone that it wasn't known, but once you had an established artist, people were clamouring to have interviews with them. What I've always found is that the 12th man has been a bit of a hard, as in difficult, sell. Mm. It didn't matter about the level of success. So Channel 9's approval and support of me was not commensurate with the level of success that I was having. It wasn't necessary. Well, it it wasn't necessary. It pissed me off, you know, often when, uh, you know, like it took me 30 years to be interviewed in the Channel 9, you know, cricket uh, telecast. Yeah. uh, Which was they... um, I don't know, was it ten or fifteen years ago they started the cricket show, which came on in the middle of the cricket? Yeah. yeah like- and, and I know my record companies have you know, tried to get me on to various shows, um, you know, because I'm not, I'm not. Most of my stuff's been word of mouth, so mm-hmm. I've never actually sort of been a publicity hound. But obviously, to get the word of mouth going, you know, you want to. You're not going to go and make a record and then clam up. You're yeah. going to go and do a few things. Yeah. So I've always been ready and willing to go and have a bit of a yarn, whether it's with bloody. Uh, Our Current Affair or bloody Dickie Wilkins on the Today Show or, you know, whatever, just to get the word of mouth going, which has been my stock in trade. People talking to each other, going, ah, 12th Man's got another fucking record out, you know, and they next minute I'm, you know, selling well. So Channel 9 have, uh, you know, I've been on a few things, but because I know how much support a successful act is usually getting, it always amazed me how difficult it was to get the sort of, you know, coverage on Channel 9. Like, why on earth they wouldn't have me on the cricket 30 years? I mean, that's a fucking long time. I'd had five, six number one albums <laughs> taking the piss out of their product. Yeah. You know, it was just too fucking weird. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's all very well to be having a chat with Dickie Wilkins on the yeah. bloody Today Show, but but why wasn't I having a chat with Slats and uh, yeah, Warney yeah. yeah. during the cricket show? And yeah. when I finally did... It was just—it was fucking magic, you know, because mm. it was a rain delay up at the Gabba, <laughs> and it started hailing. I was oh, so me is a hail, you know. It was like it just went. I was—I was supposed to do one five-minute bit, and then it started yeah. hailing in the middle of the Gabba, so they asked me to stay on. And I just had a he really just, great. Just gave it to him, mate. I just gave it to him. <laughs> I had a great twenty minutes. Uh, twenty minutes of just you know ripping the piss and having a bit of fun. And they were all. I mean, all those guys were big fans. Mm. You know, it wasn't yeah. like it wasn't like they weren't having me on. There. I don't know why they were so mm. reluctant to. I That's, think it might have been might have been that they thought they all read Richie the wrong way. Yeah. See, yeah. a lot of people think that Richie, you know, didn't like what I was doing, what Richie had this objection to, and it was a fine line, was that he started to become what he thought was a mouthpiece for selling records for me. (laughs) (laughs) And he was very commercially aware, Richie. You know, he hated a couple of people did some ads using a Richie Beno voice, which was... Two of us were pissed off. Yeah. Me, for one, because they were using my material. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like they'd, they'd written a fresh script. Mm. It was all two for 22 and marvellous. They were sort of ripping the 12th man off yeah. to sell Subaru motor cars or whatever. <laughs> and Richie was pissed off because I don't like people using my voice for commercial purposes. So um, I think that was the thing with Richie. And then it started once I'd got my level of success. Richie couldn't go anywhere without, you know, they'd be asking him about his career and asking him about, you know, the Channel 9 thing and all that. And they wouldn't let him go without saying, Richie, you can't let you go. Billy Birmingham, the 12th Man Records, you know, and you could just hear him. You didn't have to hear it. You could see it in his face. Oh, for fuck's sake. I mean, can't I go anywhere without bloody having to talk about this prick? Even when he was flogging the autobiography, yeah. they would be asking him, Richie, before you go, Billy Birmingham's 12th Man stuff. <laughs> uh, look, I... Uh, Look, Billy's a clever guy. I remember him saying on one interview Billy's a clever guy, Uh, and uh, he's obviously very popular. Uh, people like what he does, but I don't like uh, all of the swearing uh, that he has on his uh, uh, recordings. I don't use that sort of language, nor do any of my fellow commentators. I mean, Ian Chappell had been thrown off Channel 9 three times for swearing.
1: Yeah, yeah. He
2: didn't realise the microphone was still on. He's going, what the fuck's going on here? You know, and, and then the final one was when he said, Jesus fucking Christ. So he got everyone there blaspheming. And, uh, and Kerry had to give him a you know, mandatory three weeks off and and, you know, front page of the paper, I apologise. I didn't know the microphone was still uh, turned on. But, you know, but this thing of Ritchie, Look, I don't use that sort of language, nor do any of my fellow commentators. And he also, the other this sort of Glenn McGraw, you know, the guy would put hang the bat out to dry and it would almost take the outside edge and McGraw would be glaring at the fucking batsman going, go, you fucking lucky, you know. And Stevie Wonder could tell what he's just said. <laughs> and uh, Richie would think that was very funny. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, Richie, uh, and he like uh, Glenn McGrath, just uh, checking on the welfare of the batsman there. You know, he'd make some sort of coy comment about what was just said. But so, and I know people who'd met him and said that in social occasions, on social occasions and in social settings, Richie was not averse to, yeah. you know, chucking around. But it was a sort of a little bit sanctimonious. But yeah, I remember him saying, I don't use that sort of language nor to any of my fellow commentators, and uh, I took great exception uh, to his recent record where he had my wife on it. Yeah, now, yeah, that, yeah. And that sounded like, the way he put it was it sounded like I'd actually got his wife to come and, you know, play her role in the studio. <laughs> he meant to say where well, he took the piss out of my wife, but um, it sounded like I'd got Daphne down there and he gave her a couple of cheeky nose and said, can <laughs> you read this script for me, Daphne? So, uh, but I think I think a, a lot of it was Channel 9... Not, they were protecting Richie. They were yeah. protecting Richie. Yeah. Um, and they weren't – it wasn't like Richie was, was – you know, he saw – he was an old bloody journalist, you know. He comes from the, the – he knew that the success of The Twelfth Man was having not a negative effect uh, or negative impact on Channel 9's coverage but or its It was having a positive effect on It was on having you. a totally <laughs> totally positive effect. No, but I mean, sure, he was – but he didn't begrudge me making a quit out of it. and he. But he was also smart enough to realise that, you know, seven number one albums in a row – you know, it's it's having a positive knock-on effect for Channel 9's coverage and, indeed, the commentators. Tony Gregg used to say, he put an extra fucking zero on my offed in the speaking <laughs> fee, you know. <laughs> Tony, Tony lapped it up. He was a big 12-man fan and... Um, he said, look, as far as commercial things are concerned, I don't give a rat's ass what you do as long as I'm in the budget. <laughs> <laughs> That's very South African of your time. Uh, <laughs> I'll make sure we sit aside a few for <laughs> you. A couple of rand. Yeah, a couple uh, of rand. <laughs> no, but Tony was, Tony was a big fan and saw the commercial pluses. How is it to meet these people that you impersonate? Um, well, like, Rich, like Richie, weird, I, I only met him twice. Yep. And, I'm, you know, I was glad I did. But the first time I met him was after doing The Twelfth Man for 16 years. And a lot of people were just blown away. Like, you know, during the 16 years from when I started in Australia, you know, after about, you know, second or third album, people would ask in doing an interview for a new release, you know, oh, have you met Richie Miller? And they were absolutely stunned that I hadn't. And that all comes into the whole sort of you know Channel Nine and 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 how much of an at arm's length they wanted to yeah. have me. And I'd spoken to Richie though on the phone. I'd uh, I remember in the very first record, I because uh, he thought it was a one-off, so I think he gave more than tacit approval in the early days because he thought, oh, it's a one-off. I'd better be seen as being a good sport. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, but once I came out with record number two, he realised, oh, for fuck's sake, this could be a bit of a series here. And uh, so I, you know, I rang him up and I told him, you know, and I sent him the platinum record. I had a platinum record piss-up for all of the guys and they all turned up, you know, and Darryl Eastlake and Jack Gibson and, and uh, Ciappelli and Mike Gibson and, you know, a lot of the guys from whom I'd extracted the piss yeah. turned up for this, you know... Um, Party. Cheese and bickies, bees yeah. and chickies, <laughs> and uh, hand out a few platinum records, and Richie couldn't make it. So I sent him the platinum record, and uh, he rang me and said, ''Thanks very much, and I've got a t- taking pride of place in the office.'' I think it was as I did the second and the third album, he decided that it was just fueling the fire for the yeah. reasons I enunciated yeah. earlier about, you know, I just get sick of um, It's almost like I'm a mouthpiece for flogging this fella's records, you know. <laughs> I don't like uh, commercial endorsements and that sort of thing. People couldn't believe in the first 15 years and I'd started, I was up to about album number three or four or whatever, and I hadn't met him and they all thought that was odd. In 1999, I did a double album compilation for the – English market uh, for the World Cup which was being held over in the UK Uh, and Scotland were in the World Cup for the first time I offered them £25,000 to have my name emblazoned across their jerseys because they had no sponsor and got a fabulous letter back from the Scottish Cricket Union saying uh, no. Um,
0: (laughs) Oh, that would have been good.
2: Oh, mate, of course it would have. And they said, oh, no, it's a new game here. We're trying to introduce it to young people and we don't think this is the right way to do it. I said, fucking hell, it's the perfect way to do it. Um, I had a lot of fans over there, bootleg fans Mm -hmm. in the UK. In fact, I think my bootleg audience in 1999 was more than the 300,000 Commercial fans yeah. that I had in Australia, you know, because really? it's well, there's 62 million people over there, yeah. and they cricket was the second language, and you know, they, know, yeah, people would come out to Australia, or, or schoolboy cricket teams would come out, and the Aussies would introduce them to the twelfth man, and they'd take it back, yeah. and it was just bootlegs everywhere, everywhere I fucking went. People would pull out the shitty old TDK cassette with 12th Man on it, you know. Uh, know, One journo told me gleefully that he'd sat up one night on a double cassette player making hundreds of copies for his mates. (laughs) Oh, thanks for that. Where's my invoice book? Um, So I had a big, uh, um, um, you know, bootleg following over there. But anyway, day one, jet lagged, bit nervous, at the Oval for the first game. Uh, England versus South Africa at the Oval, and I'm doing my first interview, and it was the biggest interview actually of the whole three week tour. Jonathan Agnew on the BBC, and I'm just sitting there next to him, right behind uh, Alan Donald, steaming into Boulder, whoever it was. Now, literally, right with this beautiful old broadcast area with the sliding glass windows, and yeah. and I'm right behind the bowler's arm sitting there having a chat with Jonathan Agnew. Anyway, while I was waiting to do this interview in this little ante room, there was everyone, buddy, Botham and Viv Richards and Geoffrey Boycott and everyone. And then all of a sudden I just heard, uh, yeah, well, that sounds good, love. Uh, Yes, okay, well, I look forward to seeing you at about seven and I'm thinking, is that someone doing me? (laughs) Or is that the real Richie Benno? I couldn't see him. He was behind a fucking pot plant. (laughs) Um... Anyway, he emerged from behind the pot plant and I jumped in front of him thinking – because the PR guy said, oh, there he is. Are going to go say good to him? I said, I never met him. And he said, you never met him? <laughs> <laughs> You've yeah, only put your kids through school. You know? <laughs> um, you know, 16 years, you never met him. I said, no. And um, so I just jumped in front of him and I said, Richie, you can't put this off forever, mate. It's Billy Birmingham. How are you going? And he was just, oh, yeah. Billy, what a strange place to be seeing you. And uh, and um, I've often told this story on TV and I do the reenactment of it because he was kind of moonwalking away from me. <laughs> the whole conversation was done on the move. And it was like, oh, uh, Billy, uh, what a strange place to be meeting you. And I, I'm not going to stop for a chat. Um and uh, and then he said something strange about, oh, yes, I think we were supposed to meet on a golf course sometime in the past. I had no idea what he's talking about. And I said, oh, really? Oh, shit, I'd love to have a game with you one day, Richard. Uh, well, I'd have to improve out of sight before I took you on from what I hear, and I still don't know what the fuck he was talking about. So I'm just sort of going along with it. And But the whole time, it's the moonwalk away from me. Um, anyway, so I met him yeah. and therefore had a lovely anecdote for the rest of my three-week tour because everyone from Edinburgh down to... London and through Leeds and Manchester, and whatever all asked me, have you met richie benham and uh, I said, well, <laughs> funny you should ask, just the other day, but i thankfully I caught up with him again uh, about a a month, about a month yeah, yeah about a month before he died um and and that was great because by then he sort of he, he sort of he had let his guard down he wasn't yeah. on and you know he was insisting on having a photograph with me and whatever, so you know he's Richie's sort of true attitude, if you like, to the yeah, 12th yeah. man was like he he wasn't still part of the Channel 9, you know, he wasn't still captain of the commentary team from the CCP, mm-hmm. Central Commentary Position, yeah. um, and he was happy to see me and I was happy to see him. He was very unwell. Yeah. Uh, I put my arm around yeah. him for a photo and I couldn't believe just how wasted away he was yeah. and but, uh, yeah, that was for the uh, meat board, meat and livestock the board lamb. ad, yeah. the lamb ad, which was it he was, was having a he was having a barbie at his place and everyone was invited except me. <laughs> um, you know, I rang him up and said, Richie, apparently there's a bit of a do-on at your place. There's this yeah. lovely pause from Richie and he says, Nip, <laughs> um, and hangs up on me. But that uh, no, was nice to be able to, you know, mm. sort of go full circle like that, to catch up with him yep. after all those, from those the years. And, the, uh, the from the moonwalk to the... Yeah, exactly. To and, a photo. Yeah, exactly. And he's saying, <laughs> oh, look, we could have a photo taken together and... Um, and it was just uh, nice to have that sort of you know, cherished piece of memorabilia of me and Richie literally a month because, you know, it's a weird way to make a fucking living. Yeah, and, yeah. and let's face it, Richie's been yeah. there, as I said earlier. He's He's been part of everything that I've done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's where I started. It was his voice that attracted me to trying to get a laugh while yeah. we're watching this new presentation of cricket, which we're all enjoying. But it was Richie's voice that I started doing and then all my mates started doing it. I just happened to do it sort of, you know, better than anyone else in the room. And after Australiana was a success in 83... You You're the ball rolling. Yeah, I sort of thought, well, fuck, I did that for Sandy. What, um, people were going, oh, what are you going to do? You know, like, you know, follow it up. And by that, I mean, I was ostentatious as writer, mm. manager, producer, driver, bum wiper. <laughs> I was bloody, you know, everything. And I just, you know, I wasn't cut out for doing that, so... He and I sort of, you know, parted company but people were saying, you know, you're going to try and follow it up with anything and I thought, well, I should because I was stoked Mm. that I'd written something that was so well received by the Aussie public. Mm. And um, so uh, just a bit of an epiphany driving around one day and I thought, what about – I mean, I've been – this was 84 and I thought, well, I've been – sitting around the lounge room Mm. doing Richie and Tony and Bill and all those guys' voices as we watched the cricket. Uh, And it was certainly universally popular at that stage. Mm. I mean, everyone, you know, Channel Nine's coverage was a massive ratings winner, uh, as was their Wide World of Sports back before... Wide Sports was a big show then because there was no Fox Sports and whatever mm. where you're seeing the games live. It was all magazine style show mm. went for like five hours or something. You could go yeah. to Perth and come back and the thing's still going, <laughs> you know. And um, yeah, so I thought, well, maybe I can get something out of that. So and I knew it that well. I didn't need to be. I didn't need to have tapes of the show in front of me. I went out to the same backyard where I wrote Hunter and I sat down with the blank sheet of paper and the HB pencil, which are my tools of choice. And I could just see Richie welcoming us back mm. after the uh, luncheon adjournment, which is now filled by the cricket show, but back yep. then it was episodes of Goma Pile or some fucking thing, you know. And, <laughs> and, um, and uh, I could just hear him say, you know, the music. <laughs> Welcome back to the MCG and welcome to our Melbourne viewers for the first time today. Marvellous game, marvellous day for cricket here today and I'd always wanted to have, when I started thinking about doing I always wanted to have commentators swearing like troopers yeah. and having it might sound the most natural part of their, yep. you know, try and not not attract any attention to it but just make out that saying, fuck me, if they didn't just disappear, quicker than you could say, gee, it was going to piss down and it... Um, it's just, I don't know, it's just something naughty schoolboy in me that wanted yeah. to have these guys all swearing like troopers and making it sound like it was just an absolutely normal part of the commentary.
0: But you picked the format because that's what everyone else wanted to hear too. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Exactly.
2: People used to say to me, like, when you have Richie saying, yeah, fuck me if they didn't, it's like you you listen to it and you think that's what they'd like to be saying if they weren't on telly. yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And that's
2: kind of where I was coming from. He's like, you know. No, you know, you're like having a footy commentator. Oh fuck, he's dropped it. Oh, you know what an idiot. <laughs> you know, like that's what, he, that's what a commentator yeah. would like to say yeah, in yeah, the yeah. middle yeah. of a call. He yeah, yeah, has absolutely yeah, oh, shit geez, the bed. Fuck that! That was a drive for all
0: money. You know, <laughs> you. That's what one thing we want to ask. You've given everyone a taste of of Ray Warren. Oh, would you? Dad would
2: said made him, and Ray agrees with me on this because you know he can't walk down the fucking street now without getting. What I call the Benno treatment. <laughs> hey, Rabs! Oh! Crunching tackle. I'm at everywhere I fucking go, Birmingham. Uh, I'm getting these people yelling out at me. Because, you know, that's what used to happen to Tony and Gregg. And Tony used to tell me, like, you know, he's walking with Richie in the concourse at the Brisbane Airport. And, you know, yeah. they'd be like, marvellous effort, that. And you know, blow it out your ass, Tony. And they used to get all these 12th manisms. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and Rabs started to get the same thing. And I, I've made him... I called him the second most impersonated man in the country, and now the Richies lift these parts. Uh, dead set, I think, Rabs would have to be one of the most impersonated. Great voice. Yeah. Dead set in the Fairdinkham Department. DS in the FDD. <laughs> <laughs> one of the best voices. Um, Great commentator, good bloke. No substitute for. Do you reckon you've got enthusiasm. it? Do you, you, could, you yeah. could do a? Well, a people have said, session? "Why don't you do a rugby league one?" And I say, "Well, it's not a national sport, yeah, you know." Yeah. A lot of the success of the 12th men came from the fact that cricket was our national game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we got you know the southern states are just rabid fucking AFL. You know, left foot snap. <laughs> um, but it's, it's not rugby league's not a national sport, yeah. and when it comes to sitting down and making a record. So far, I've always been drawn to doing something that has a national audience rather than making a record where you know that there's a good chance that in Adelaide it's going to go down like a bucket of sick because they don't know, you know. Rab's I did on my records once he started doing the swimming, you might remember, (laughs) the pan Packs, (laughs) which I always thought sounded like a feminine hygiene product. (laughs) Uh, um, Darling, do you need some pan Packs? I'm just off to the chemist. Um, (laughs) um, he, (laughs) He started doing the pan Pack. Yeah, yeah, Oh, Susie O'Neill, Madam Butterfly. <laughs> yeah. And um, so it gave Rabs national exposure. Yeah. yeah. So I then felt a bit better about doing Rabs on mm. my records. Um, I didn't have him doing the swimming. I had him bursting into swimming in the middle of... It wasn't yeah. somewhere in the middle of the cricket. He dropped into a Thorpe, Hackett, Hackett and Thorpe. Um, <laughs> right in the middle of a sentence. He said, a big strapping, young lad. I think it was Boucher, Boucher, a big strapping young fellow, very much in the mould of Thorpe, Hackett, Hackett and Thorpe. They won't catch him. Um, and then just goes back to his normal commentary. Um, but, uh. Yeah, once Rabs grabbed himself yeah. a bit of a national audience through the BNPX.
0: You gave him a rugby league. Was that the Wide World of Sports one you gave him? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. If, well, I, <laughs> the Wide uh, World I of Sports. Can
2: so. ne- I can never remember. The first time I did the State of Origin yeah. was with Daryl Eastlake and Jack Gibson. Yeah. So that was 87. And that's when Daryl Eastlake was, you know, oh, boy, gee, you know, and everything was huge. Daryl said to me, mate, I had no idea. I said huge so much until you told me. See, now I can't go anywhere without people yelling at me, Oh Daryl, you're a huge, fuck with. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, so yeah, Daryl Eastlake and Jack Gibson and uh, Mike The kid. Islander names when we uh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah well, that's right. Eventually <laughs> yeah. I had eventually I had Rabs doing a bit of State of Origin in Wide World of Sports 2. And then on subsequent record, I had him giving the updates on the Kiwi Rugby League team to Ken Sutcliffe, was that Ken, look, I've just had an update on some of the changes to this New Zealand side, and I thought I might give you a bit of a heads-up for the bulletin this afternoon. Yeah. It was a one-sided conversation, Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, okay, the hooker is Varicose Vanicola. <laughs> and the props, will he tell Lou a lie, and he'll only have a lie to Lou. And then I've I've basically done a new team yeah. every year. Yeah, now you yeah. got you know lent him a mower. <laughs> Why won't he return it to me? And, uh, and and rustled up some tucker.
0: Who's <laughs> <laughs> the one you could have tongue twister? Oh, Stacey Stacey, Stacey Jones. Jones.
2: Oh, fuck, some of these names. they tongue twisters. Stacey Jones. <laughs> Let him have another pie. <laughs> Will he lose yeah. a kilo or two? <laughs> <laughs> Will he slip her a tonguey? <laughs> he don't even know her. Ben to Rover. You know, <laughs> they're great, um, just in the uh, in the same mould as I've had a lot of fun with. Um, you know, the Pakistani, Indian, and Sri Lankan yeah. names. Yeah. Which, of course, these days are Muslim names. And if I was to invent the 12th man now, I would be hung, drawn, and quartered, and the records would never see the light of day. Because every fucking PC brigade, well, you can't fucking do that. Thankfully, when I started, they were Sri Lankan cricketers' names, and Pakistani cricketers' names, and Indian cricketers' names. Yeah. Yeah. But Cathy um, McCabe from The Telegraph said to me a couple of years ago, Do you reckon he could like you could give birth to a 12th man now. And I sort of thought about it for the first time and I thought, well, what what she's saying there is if you just came out and started doing all these, you know, well, that's what silly, that. silly names. I yeah. mean, people would be going, oh, that's fucking, you know. Well, of course, nothing I said was ever saying anything about race, creed, or culture. Yeah. There was nothing any fucking anti Muslim about it. It was it's just. doing pist- Australian ears. Australian no, no, ears. Australian ears. But it, yeah. it, 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 it was wordplay. It was, it was, you know, if, 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 if yeah. you've got. Mahindra Armanaf and Sunil Gavaskar became Kabis Armanaf and Sunil Havaskar. I mean, it was just it was just mucking around. You know, yeah. they happened to be yeah. the two openers for India. Yeah, the, but
0: that's yeah. what we were saying earlier with uh, ostentatious. That particular bit, I don't think. I, I think that's aged so well that you couldn't even be called out on anything in there. You just,
2: no, no, there was nothing again. Yeah, that was, yeah. There was nothing in
0: that. That's absolutely. Yeah. Which, but, but like you know, it could have been anything. And that, mind era. you, yeah. the,
2: dope, the, the, the dope section where. Well, Bill said he'd like a smoke. No one knew where the dope was stashed. I said, yeah. I think Marino's, but I was just spinning a bit of a yarn. Oh, sorry, <laughs> boys knocking the studio down. And then Alice springs into action and starts to pack Bill a Bong. Um, that section I had to edit out of the film clip so we had ended up having the censored version and uncensored. Right. So countdown wouldn't play. <laughs> You know, Countess never played it anyway. But uh, I'm saying anyone who was going to play the clip, yeah, and there were very few people who did. But a couple of people played the clip, and they played the censored version where there was there was a nice edit point, thankfully, where any reference to marijuana and packing billabong and the tally ho, and all that sort of shit.
0: They, they, they kept platter puss in there. They kept platter
1: puss, and probably seen a cockatoo. Yeah, yeah and they kept that. Out. They kept all that in there.
2: Yeah. So look, it's harder to pick than a broken nose what people are going to censor and what they're not.
1: Yeah, it's all it's all aged a little bit better than uh, than you know, the likes of uh, Rodney Roode
2: and Kevin, Bloody yeah. Wilson. You know that stuff that they did, they probably couldn't give birth. To well, a lot of people. There was a, the Telegraph did an article recently. You guys might have seen it. The Daily Telegraph in Sydney did a thing about his PC comedy. And I said, look, you're going to have to speak to the guys who do it for a live comedy for a living. I said, I I make records. And, you know, one thing I will say is that if I was to do a 12th man, if I was to launch a 12th man character now, the people would take umbrage, absolutely for no reason whatsoever, but they just would, uh, about the... Uh fun I have with the uh, Pakistani Indian and Sri Lankan names, which is just pure, unadulterated wordplay, nothing else at all, yeah. nothing at all about race, creed or culture, never has been, never will be just like Malmaninga's smell my finger yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly it's just just mm. taking the piss, yeah and um but all the other guys that were in there there was Rodney Rude, Kevin Bloody Wilson, ostentatious, Vince Sorenti, those guys all do live comedy for a living yep it's unfortunate. Because to a large extent, the stuff that people, the PC Brigade, are getting upset about to me is just... So there's no comedy that offends me at all. <laughs> the stuff that I just find tasteless and unfunny, uh, and that's just, you know, that's just my opinion. It's a very subjective thing. But um, but no one's really ever going to do anything that offends me. Mm. But I am going to think that is fucking tasteless and what's worse is it's unfunny.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: Um, but... Um, no, it's a, a diff, different world now.
0: I'd, um, to- I reckon you'd still get away with it. Everything you've done, I reckon you'd still get away with Kevin, Bloody Wilson and that lot, yeah. they, they, would, oh, no, that's, they would struggle. That's, yeah, <laughs> no,
2: they they would struggle. They were, you know, some of those songs that Kevin wrote were pretty bloody out there, you know, and and, and Rodney. But they they were very popular too, those, you know, and they sold a lot of records, those guys. Mm-hmm. I think they're still making a bit of money too. Yeah, well, Rodney uh, gave it away for a while and then, you know, came back out and did another tour. of <laughs> The I mean, Vengeance. Sam Pang
0: was saying a comedian was saying he he was a uh, guy in Sydney grew up watching him he said I have to go see it just to you know just for that moment in my life he went there and he said (laughs) Rodney ends the show wheels out the merch trolley sits there and signs everything he walks up and his his brother-in-law was saying you know um, this is Sam been a lifelong fan you know you're a legend he needs to uh, needs to get an autograph and he wrote Dear Sam, fucking bum me. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, he goes, the man's a genius. He goes, he goes, that is so funny. Oh, man, listen,
2: Rodney is, I know. Rodney used to, his wife used to make the cock hats for him. You know, he'd come out yeah. with a hat with big balls and cock. And, yeah. it just and uh, you know, Pat, yeah, Patty's wife. So we were there. Like when Rodney, he launched the comedy store and Ostentatious did the bloody audition back in 80. Vince Serretti was a waiter and he wanted to be a comedian and occasionally Rodney would let him take off the open and jump up and and Vince used to do stuff mainly based on TV ads taking the piss out of k stuff and whatever yeah. you know And but that's at very early days when the Jamison Street Comedy Store to me it was the birth of stand-up comedy because uh, Melbourne which was comedy capital of Australia was all
0: theatre
2: mm. the, th- theatre review uh, university review type humour yeah. but the actual hardcore man and microphone could they weren't doing funny, that ourselves no one was doing that, that. stand-up yeah. comedy was was a a bloke doing a prawn morning at the Illawarra Workers Club or something, you Mm, know. Yeah. Um, But to the bulk of Australia, the comedy strip, comedy store, Robin Williams and Mm. all those guys, we didn't have that. And that's what Rodney uh, brought to the Jamison Street Comedy Store was, you know, legitimate, you know, funny thing happened on the way to the man and microphone, stream of consciousness... And uh, a lot of the Melbourne guys who wanted to do that started coming up to Sydney to have a crack. Right. That re- and then that's when, as I said, Austin Taysha's did a, uh, an audition and he became a regular down at the comedy store. But, um, yeah, it's uh, I haven't been to a comedy room for ages. Have you guys been? Have they got a Batuta comedy store?
1: Or? Uh, we did have one, but it burnt down. Ah, <laughs> uh, right. At the, uh, yeah, it was um, over-insured, so we... Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Irish Stockdale.
0: Just before we wrap up, Tell us the budget. Tell us the the studio. Tell us how you recorded that first album. Yeah, well,
2: I'm interested in it here because <clears throat> Batuta have, have just well refitted, I suppose you call it Koala Sofa Studios, if you will. Did yeah. yeah, right? Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now there's a, there's a bit of simpatico there because Koala being a mattress supplier. Your what you guys what you guys have done here is a little bit more upmarket than I'm used to. Right. Uh, The Twelfth Man's records have always been made in what I call a homemade studio, Um, and I mean by homemade I mean three mattresses jammed up into the corner of a room Um, that gives me the sort of you know the 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 soundproofing. The booth. (laughs) Throw a doona over the top to give it a ceiling. Um, and lifting up the duna cover and hopping inside it is going into the studio, and every single one of my records has been made in that sort of you know cottage industry, low budget, light, fashion. Light, light, light in there. Ah uh, yes, I'd, I'd run a run a bed lamp in through the in between the few mattresses. Hmm. I'd have like a bedside lamp. Uh, the scripts were gaffer taped to the mattress in front of me. Um, so that I could read the script when I was recording. Um, so it was as homemade as as yeah. you can possibly get. Low input, low. Low, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. Low, very low. The John Wilkes booth, I used to call it <laughs> whenever I'd make it. The John Wilkes booth, and served me very well, boys, because you know everything that I was doing was um, just you know just voice, just voice recording, yeah, and. Um, I mean, I used to love doing all the foley work, as they call it, uh, which is the sound effect stuff. Like, mm. you know, when I had Mr and Mrs Beno rooting, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was uh. lying on the floor. <laughs> I had three mattresses, sorry, sorry, three microphones aiming down at me and I'm lying on the floor with a dooner over me and I've got the headphones on. Yeah. So I'm listening to Richie going, ah, ah, ah. And also, I had (laughs) I had the eight second route, uh, and what I had to do was to fluff the doona in time with the with the thrusts, if you like. And um, I always loved you know doing that stuff or the poker game that Kerry Packer was having, you know. And I had all the chips and stuff. So that's all done with you know Froggy, my engineer, playing back the audio to me, and I would have to throw the. Poker chips in, yeah, yeah. or ruffle the ruffle the dooner, or Richie having the longest piss in the history of the world. You know, while he's talking <laughs> to his <laughs> wife. You know, ah, I've got a long day ahead of me, and uh, and you hear him off. You know, a bit of bit of reverb, so he's in the next room, mm, and, yeah. He's yeah. and the piss just went for two and a half minutes. <laughs> um, and I love doing all. That's yeah. one of my favourite things. Usually, because it means yeah. I've done my bit. Yeah, I finished my script, yeah. and I finished my You're on the home stretch. I'm on the home stretch, yeah, and then yeah. and all I have to do is just you know now make it come to life with crowds and, you know, bat-hitting ball and poker chips or having a piss or having a root, as it might.
1: <laughs> well, just before we say goodbye, Billy, um, it's been 12 years since Boned was
2: released. The, uh, has it? Yeah, shit, you're yeah. right, 2006. So is there any, uh, any plans for the future? The only thing I can it? say to you and all the people in the Diamond Diamantina, and in fact all around Australia, because I know the show has a very much a national flavour, national audience... National Appeal. (laughs) Um, All I can say to people out there is um, never say never, and especially now that the cricket has found a new home, or indeed semi-detached home. Uh, On one side is Channel 7 and on the other side of the semi is Fox Sports. So what do we know about Fox? We know that it's uh, Gilly. Whose and voice is about as interesting as a broken arm, and Mark and, War, and Mark War, who's uh, similarly uh, exciting, and then on the other side, who have Channel Seven We've announced got, uh, Slater and Ponting, and Damien Fleming. There you go. Yeah, yeah. They are three of the most and nondescript PJ. voices. <laughs> so I don't want to get yeah, people's, uh, I don't want to get twelve men fans' hopes built up, yeah. but. Uh, I suppose what I can do is give Channel Seven a go, give them a go, give Fox Sports a go, and if there are any voices or comedy idiosyncrasies that are worth extracting the odd liter of piss, then I might have a crack at doing one. But I don't think so. I think <laughs> I have, I have had such a great run with the Twelve yeah. Man. I've, I have had uh, a fan base like like no other artist has. Because I don't peer live, because I've never done film clips and whatever, the organic affection that people have had for the 12th man, a lot of people have literally, and they tell me this, grown up with me. Mm -hmm. And I always say to them, I think you mean not grown up with me. And they go, yeah, I know what you mean. (laughs) Um, You know, schoolboy hammer is alive and well. But (laughs) a lot of people, um, you know, they were in their late teens when I started in 84, and they're now... Middle-aged, got a couple of kids, and the twelfth man has been a part of their life. Every time I did a record, they go and buy one. People have come up to me, honestly, with tears in their eyes, saying, "The only connection I had with my father and grandfather was listening to your records down the back shed on Christmas Day. Apart from that, we didn't fucking talk all year, but we would disappear from the women folk and the kiddies." And go down the back shed and listen to Twelfth Man records, and I've honestly I've had people tearing up. So there's a I always describe it as a very organic affection that people have had, and uh, and uh, that's been a you know having having worked in the entertainment business and seeing that sort of reaction from people it's a it's a nice thing and the, the most enjoyable thing about the whole Twelfth Man story really. Well, never say never. Never, never, say, never. say never. No, never say never. But. Uh, Don't uh, hold your breath. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us, Billy. Thanks for
1: joining us, Thanks very much. And
2: uh, what do we call ourselves? Desert? uh, Desert Rock FM. FM. Desert Rock FM. Like Richie Benno here. And even though I'm dead. (laughs) We'll come back here to Desert Rock FM in just a few moments.
1: (laughs) And that was the late Richie Benno from heaven. Uh, Richie, if you're listening, hope you're comfortable. Uh, how was that? N- until next week, I guess. You know, I-, I hope all of you enjoyed listening to us laugh for... Uh, Giggle. Giggle like school <laughs> children. For uh, about an hour or two. But uh, until next week, my name is Errol Parker. Never talk to the police without a lawyer and stay out of the pokies. I'm Clancy Overall. You be kind to each other.